Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. It is such a joy and an honor to be with you. And thank you for that song. What a beautiful message and for the worship this time. And I'm so grateful to be able to stand in front of you. Having been a pastor, I appreciate and understand uh, what it means to allow someone else to walk into this pulpit and preach to the people that uh, God has given them charge to shepherd and so for dr price to welcome me today and to beaver down baptist church and give me the opportunity to open god's word with you really means a great deal and i'm honored and thankful it's uh, my wife and i have now lived in east tennessee for a year and uh, it has been a, a really joyful uh, transition after we got uh, through a few things. Uh, I remember standing in front of our group of retirees at Carson Newman, and uh, and if you know much about Carson Newman, in our seal is the word Appalachia. It's where we are committed to serve the Appalachian region, and I stood in front of these retirees and and was talking about our charge and. And with that, I kept referring to Appalachia. And uh, after that lunch and my presentation, one of our dear retirees walked up to me and said, you know, every time you say Appalachia, all you're saying to people is that you're not from here. And so she said, you need to think that I'm going to throw an apple at you. And if you'll just think that, they'll pronounce it correctly. So after I got the verbiage down, uh, my wife and I have so fallen in love with East Tennessee. And um, I have, I'm born and raised in North Mississippi, and I have come to the conclusion uh, that North Mississippi rednecks and East Tennessee hillbillies are at at least first cousins. And so we're family and uh, we are so grateful to be here and grateful for what the Lord is doing at Carson Newman. It has been just an incredible uh, gift of the Lord to uh, call us to come and serve there. The Lord is at work on that campus. We finished an incredible year uh, this past year um, and during our school year, we've, we've uh, had over 50 students commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And already this year, we've had more than a dozen uh, just in our first few weeks of being on campus have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And we had a baptismal service on campus in Mossy Creek last year. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do the same this fall. And uh, it's, uh, we are, coronavirus has changed a lot of things about everything. And so, but we are navigating that and the Lord's been good to us. And I ask you just to pray for us that the Lord will keep our campus 
safe and healthy so that we can continue and see this semester finished. It is, uh, uh, we've got, uh, we're going to be announcing this week, we're, we've got record enrollment, the highest headcount in the history of Carson Newman this fall. And that is just the grace of God. And, uh, and we are grateful. So thank you for being here and moving to East Tennessee gave me an opportunity to get to reconnect with a, an old friend from New Orleans days, and I'm so uh, grateful to be here. This morning, I want for us to open God's Word and look in Mark 6. This is uh, going to be kind of an unusual sermon for me um, because uh, the, in Instead of preaching sort of a traditional sermon, uh, this week I, I felt led just to share with you some things out of my devotional life this week. I had preached this passage many times, but this week in reading, uh, the Lord gave me some, some fresh insights. And so uh, if it's okay with you, I just want to open the scriptures and share with you some things that the Lord is has shown me this week, and uh, I believe that from the way he has led me to um, to share this this morning, then I, there probably and hopefully it's going to be an encouragement to people in the room. So I'd like to read, uh, and this is the account, one of the accounts in Scripture of the feeding of the 5,000. So most of us in this room have not only read this many times, you have heard many uh, sermons on it. So uh, I pray that today uh, will be a fresh insight for you as it was for me this week. Let's begin reading in Mark 6, verse 33. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, you give them something to eat. And, and they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. 
Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, I thank you that the Word of God is true. And it is your words that you, your Holy Spirit, breathed into the hearts of the men you called to write and pen this book. And you have, by your grace, preserved this word through all these centuries. It's a living word, a truthful word, a holy word. And this morning, it is your word to us. And I pray that you would give us attentive ears and responsive hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe this is true. I believe this is a historical record of an event that took place in Jesus' life. And, it's, and, it, and I need to set the stage because I want to, for ultimately for us this morning to talk about the role that the young man had in this whose lunch was used for feeding this multitude. But let me set the stage for that. You see the disciples immediately preceding this episode had been sent out on their first mission trip. They had traveled all over the region. They were teaching. They were doing miracles and casting out demons. Their ministry was unbelievable as they went around the region. But they knew that when that mission trip was over, their plan was to meet up with Jesus and have some alone time with him, some R&R, as you might expect, where they could, he could teach them and they could pray. And, and so as they began leaving the, their mission trip, it was all over, and they began traveling back to meet Jesus, which was ultimately on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they weren't expecting that the people that they had ministered to during this mission trip began following them back. They wanted to, to, to uh, experience more of their ministry. And somehow or another, as these crowds followed the disciples returning from this mission trip, they kept, they kept growing, and before long, this had become this massive crowd of 5,000 men and their family. And as Jesus arrived on the scene, this crowd gathered around him, and he began to teach. It's very interesting that things that you learn as you read through the scriptures, but this was not something that thrilled the disciples' hearts. All of a sudden, this multitude of people had, were now interrupting their plans. They had been on their mission trip and they had done that work, but this was a time when they were going to gather with Jesus. This was their time with Jesus. And yet this crowd has interrupted them. And Jesus, when he saw this crowd, the, the scriptures record for us that he saw them and had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. 
And so he began to minister to them. It's a, an interesting thing to, to see what it's like to be a dis, discerning of, of what God is doing in a situation. It just seems so interesting that when you read the scriptures that immediately before the encountering this crowd, the disciples had been all around the region ministering, doing miracles and casting out demons. They would, would talk with individuals and they would, they would discern what needed to be done in that situation, whether it was to have a demon cast out or to be made well from a sickness or to teach them something. There was this, this reality that on this mission trip, they were they had this discernment. It was very, very uh, important in doing the Lord's work. I, I remember discernment is a hard thing. Your pastors could attest to this. When uh, in my, I, I immediately before coming to Carson Newman, I pastored at Germantown Baptist Church over in the Memphis area. I was there for nine years. Um, I remember one time, just a, one example of many, um, a member of our church came. It was a, a, a lady who, who was having some serious problems with, with, with her stomach and things, and she wanted me to pray with her. And so when I would have church members come see me before uh, I generally, before we prayed, I wanted to get to know them, what's going on. I want to ask them some questions about what their walk with the Lord is looking like. And, and it just seemed that as I asked these questions to try to determine where this person was, I began discovering and discerning that there is a spiritual issue going on here. And, and so as we continued our conversation, the Lord just revealed to us about a deep spiritual issue that she had not talked about ever. She had kept hidden in her life. And, and I told her, I said, I, I really believe that if we deal with the spiritual issue, the Lord might very well take care of, of your stomach issue. And and she just knelt in my office and repented of, and prayed and dealt with a spiritual issue that had been in her life for many, many years. And when she got up, she said, I think, I think my stomach's feeling better. And, and it's a, it takes discernment sometimes to understand. It takes, you have to care enough for someone sometimes that you want to walk alongside them and have enough conversation with them to determine, you know, I could have just prayed a prayer and said, Lord, would you heal her stomach and then send her on her way and her pastor would have done what she asked, but, but it was important to have a conversation to discern what might really be going on in her life and the Lord delivered her from, from a spiritual issue that had been in her life for many years. And in so doing, I believe the stress and the issues related to that problem just 
just uh, caused her, uh, her stomach issues to go away. These disciples, as they had been on this trip, were doing great acts of power to change lives in Jesus' name. And now they walk into this setting, and this is all very important, I think, to understanding what's going on in this passage, is, is that as they have been having this great mission trip, and then they come back, and now the agenda is, I want, we, they wanted to be alone with Jesus. And all of a sudden, situations around them didn't allow them to get what they wanted. To their great disappointment, they were unable to be alone with Jesus. This was ruining their personal plans with Jesus. So let's fast forward. Jesus was, began teaching this crowd because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and loved them. And then it was the day began getting late, and this is very important. And, and I know I see this in my own life, uh, wish I didn't. But here are these disciples, Jesus is teaching, it's late, the people are hungry, and Jesus wants his disciples to feed them. So these great men of faith who have been in the preceding days doing all these great miracles, walking in great power, casting out demons, healing the sick, teaching great truths, all of a sudden, when it's time for the crowd to be fed, the very best and first suggestion that they have is to send everybody away. Send them into the area towns and let them buy their own food. And Jesus says to them, no, I want you to feed them. To which their second response was, I'm going to paraphrase this, do you know how much that would cost? I mean, I know you've probably never heard that in this church, but, but it's like, <clears throat> do you know how much this would cost? That's 200 denarii. I want you to notice that how they have lost their discernment and Jesus, everything, the, every spiritual request that Jesus makes of them or of us demands a spiritual response. But their very best response to Jesus was to either send them away or to say, you just don't know how expensive that is. You don't know what you're asking. Do you know how much that cost? Where's that spiritual discernment? Where's the, the great power that they have been demonstrating in their lives in recent days? And now you don't need Jesus if you're going to just send the people away and let them buy their own food. And you don't need to... You don't need Jesus if the question and response is, here's the price tag and we don't have the money. And so Jesus said to them, I'll take care of it. Now go and find out how many loaves and fish we have and you know the story. There's a, a really significant lesson for he us here. Uh, it was for me this week, a good reminder on some principles 
of usefulness. Some principles of usefulness. And, and I want and I hope they'll be a blessing uh, to you as well. Because spiritual questions require spiritual answers. And we have to have a lens to discern what God is doing, what he wants to do, and then to be a part of how it is that God works. So, so as we look, as we look at this, I want us to look at the roles uh, in this miracle and how it exposes some important principles for us. First of all, I just want to set the stage with looking at the resources. Notice, first of all, that this young man, this young boy's lunch, who they ultimately used to feed this multitude, uh, that it was uh, conspicuously noticeable to the disciples. Jesus said, go find how many loaves and fish we have. And they returned and said, here, we've got five loaves and two fish. It was, it was obvious for people to see. I think that's important. But secondly, and, and probably the things that most have focused on the most, is that the resources were seemingly inadequate. Here is one young man's lunch, but the, the need is to feed 5,000 men and their families, which could have been 15,000 people more. No one really knows, but 5,000 families, and you've got five loaves and two fish. There was an obvious gap between the size of the need and the size of the lunch. And this is where many people miss the opportunity to be used of God. They determine, like the disciples, that the resources are inadequate. And they just determine at that point, if we don't get more resources, then we can't meet this need. It's a very interesting thing when you think about the life that God has called us to live. Acts 1.8 is a verse that we all are familiar with. It's a restatement of the Great Commission. And it's very interesting when Acts 1.8 begins, it says that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. In other words, without the power of God manifest through his Holy Spirit, you can cannot be my witnesses. That Holy Spirit peace is a requirement in order to be the witnesses that Jesus wants us to be. In other words, that Holy Spirit compensates for all of our inadequacies. We can be witnesses for Jesus, but we can only be witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, apart from, from the work of God through his spirit, we are inadequate to be witnesses for Jesus. We cannot fulfill the command that he gave us to be his witnesses if we don't acknowledge that we are inadequate and therefore we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is essential, and I could walk through the scriptures and show you that this is the picture that we are provided all through the New Testament. In Acts chapter 6, 
It's very another very familiar passage where the church in Jerusalem are in conflict. The widows aren't being fed. And so the church in conflict goes to the apostles and the apostles says, choose among you seven men and these seven men, which I consider like most to be the very first deacon body, that they will help the church figure out a way to get the widows fed. But the apostles said, I have three requirements for these seven men. They are to be full of the Holy Spirit, they're to be wise, and they are to have a good reputation. Now notice, now let's just think for a moment about how, I won't even talk about y'all, I'll talk about me. When I pastored, I have sat in, in a room many a time trying to figure out who are we going to place on committees or do we need to get a special committee to work on a particular function. And uh, I don't think I've ever remembered anyone ever saying, well, we need to make sure that the people we choose are full of the Holy Spirit. If I was sitting in churches where I pastored and we had a problem with feeding widows, the conversation would have probably begun by being, being, well, we need somebody who knows how to cook. We need somebody who knows how to distribute food. We need people, you know, in logistics. We need people that can purchase all the foods. We need, you know, all of these specific skills. And we might determine here are the skills that we need to take care of this problem. And we would go and get people who had demonstrated effectiveness in those particular areas and say, we have some widows that need to be fed. And so would y'all form a committee and make sure we get our widows fed? That's not how the apostles instructed the church to do it. They looked for people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, people who may not openly have the demonstrated skill that is necessary to do this, but people who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to compensate for their inadequacy so that the need in the body could be met. And sometimes we focus so much to where when you get someone who uh, who base decisions strictly on skills and competencies. Sometimes in my own life, it's real easy in areas where I have demonstrated success that maybe I don't go into that acknowledging my great need for God to compensate for my inadequacy so that I can be faithful to the task that the church has set before me. And what we see setting the stage is that oftentimes when we look at a situation in a church where the need is great and the resources are small, oftentimes we just simply, rather than acknowledging our inadequate resources and saying, God, would you by your spirit do something in this situation, we either decide, well, we can't do it, or we decide, well, we're gonna wait until we can accumulate enough resources and then we'll do what we believe God has set before us to do. It's important for us to recognize that a walk of faith is a walk 
that sees what is not yet. But we so often opt out because we look at the situation, we, we assess the need, we assess the resources, and then we decide whether can we or can't we, and then we move on. And what I want us to see as we, before we get to three things about this young man that I hope you're not going to hear anything new today, but I do believe the Holy Spirit so spoke to my heart this week, and I hope that he'll speak to some of yours as well. But it's important that in the face of, of inadequate resources, I'm not enough in and of myself. Our resources are not enough. That is the place where we see God work because, because we acknowledge our great need for him. And in my own life, far too many times, I have tried to program things so that I knew that we had the resources, I knew we had the people, I knew we had the skills, I knew we could get it done before we said, let's do it. And I think that, that there is something so powerful in the hearts of God's people who says, who recognizes I'm not enough to even provide a witness for the Lord Jesus if the Holy Spirit doesn't empower me to do so. I'm not enough to, to serve in any capacity through this church apart from the enablement and empowerment of God. And so Jesus, when these disciples had just sort of all they could see was the physical, their faith that had driven them to do such great and powerful things before, now is, is they are seemingly devoid of any faith because all they want to do is either send them away or, or cause Jesus to, to think of another plan because of the cost of the price tag of doing what Jesus wants to do. And so Jesus sends them to go find them. The food. Three things about this young man that I just want to give to you quickly uh, in closing because my time is already gone and I haven't even gotten to the message this morning. So, <clears throat> one, the young man was accessible. The young man was accessible. When Jesus instructed the disciples, to look for the resources that were available, they found this young man. He was there. He was accessible. His resources were visible. That's one of the fears I think that many pastors all across our country has about our current season, is that people are gonna become, we don't want anyone to return to church until until it's safe, but there is a great fear. Every time I meet with a, with a senior pastor, which is pretty often, one of their great prayers is pray for us that our people will return. 
that they'll be able to be visible, that, they, that people won't just simply grow so comfortable, detached from the, from the gathering of the body and so comfortable worshiping online that, that when the pandemic is over, that people don't return. It's important. Gathering is important. It's, it is a, a command for all of us throughout the scriptures. And just seeing how many of you gathered this morning at 845 is, is uh, encouraging. But the young man was accessible. Secondly, the young man was uh, available. Now, just showing up is not enough. There are many times as I've pastored and I've been grateful for that people were there, but when it came time to serve, people were accessible, but they weren't available. This young man was accessible, but he was also available. And I want you to understand that God uses handy tools. I grew up, my family owned, uh, uh, one of the things my dad did is we raised cattle, uh, Charlet. That's so I grew up chasing cows that were got out of the pasture and doing all the things that go with raising cattle. But when it came time to repair the fences or when I was younger and not old enough for dad to say the fence is down in this part of the pasture, go fix it. Before that, my job was to go with him. And my job was to sit there so that when my dad needed a tool, I was ready to hand it to him so that he could do it, to make it easy. He, before he started his job, he would get everything that he needed there. And my responsibility was to have it ready to go in his hand when he needed. And I want you to know that he, my dad used handy tools when he, when he was repairing a fence. And I want you to know in the kingdom of God that it's not only enough, it's not enough to just show up it's you, we, as God's children, must be available. We must be near to him so that we are available so that God uses handy tools. That places in yours and my spiritual responsibility, the reality of our need to walk closely with Jesus. Don't be far away from him or you're going to find yourself wondering as a pastor for many years, I can't tell you how many people would come over time to my office concerned because they just weren't being used in the church. They just didn't sense that God was doing a great work through them in the church and my conversation would generally begin with, before we talk about what God's doing through you, let's discuss what God's doing in you. Are you near to him? Are you walking with him? Why? Because God uses handy tools. I'd love to say a lot more about that, but I'm going to move on to a third point. And thirdly. This young man was agreeable. He was agreeable. 
Now think about this. The young man didn't need a miracle. He had a lunch. So he agreed with the request of Jesus to sacrifice what he had. I mean, you put yourself in this shoes. Here's this crowd of maybe 15,000 people. I don't know if there was another young man that that had a lunch that was there, but but it's clear that there wasn't much food in that crowd. And here this young man, these strangers come to him and say, young man, Jesus needs your lunch. Will you give it up for him? And the young man was agreeable to participate in God's plan for his life. He didn't need the miracle, but he sacrificed nonetheless because Jesus had asked for his lunch. Can I tell you that if you want to be useful to the kingdom of God, if I want to be useful to the kingdom of God, we need to be accessible. We need to show up. We need to be available. It means we need to walk closely with Jesus. We need to be near. We need to ask ourselves, if you're sitting here this morning and, and I ask you, how is God working through your life and through, through you, through this church, and you say, I, I really don't know what God's doing through me, then it leads me to the question of what is God doing in you? Because if you're accessible, you show up, but you're not available because you're not walking closely with him, then maybe what you need to be praying is, Lord, would you do a fresh work in me so that you can then do a work through me? And thirdly, is if you want to be used of God, you need to be agreeable with God's plan. I'd really love to take some time to unpack that for you. But be willing to sacrifice your agenda your plan. I'm sure that that young boy was every bit as hungry as all of the other people that the disciples were concerned about. And I could understand him saying, are you crazy? I'm starving. This is my lunch. But he was agreeable to participate in God's plan for that day and those people And he sacrificed his own agenda for his life, his own plans for his day, so that he could participate with Jesus. And I ask you, are you accessible? Are you visible? Are you available? Are you near to Jesus and handy? And are you agreeable? Are you willing to sacrifice what is yours? Are you willing to lay your agenda and your priorities aside in order to agree with God's plan? Now, I don't know God's plan for your life, but I guarantee you that for you to understand it, you're going to have to be near him, walking with him. And when he reveals it, are you willing to lay aside your, your stuff so you can get involved with his? I pray that the Spirit of God would would speak to some hearts 
and draw you to draw near to God and let him draw near to you. And that, and that if you're someone who has been concerned that maybe you're not being as useful for the kingdom of God or for this church as you, you've, got, you've got so much to offer and people don't take advantage of it enough. I'd love to tell you a story about that. But the question may be not what is God doing through me. The most important question is what is he doing in me? And that work needs to be first. Let me pray and then we'll have a time of response. Father, thank you for your goodness. You use us in spite of ourselves. But Father, this week, just reading through this passage, just being these principles of usefulness to be accessible and available and agreeable with your plans for our lives and with our resources so that we can participate with you in how you are at work to advance your kingdom on this earth. All through this room right here this morning, I pray and I believe there are people who are not accessible, they're are some who are not available. They want to be used, but they don't want to walk with you. I pray that you would bring them to a point of where they love you and walk with you and that when their agenda and your plans collide, that we would all choose to agree with you. Father, I love you. I thank you for the work you're doing in my life. I thank you for the work you're doing in the lives of folks here. So during this time of response, Father, call us all closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.